Welcome to the Working with India podcast, conversations to help cross-cultural managers deepen their understanding of India, produced by learningindia.in. Today's episode is with Amar Vyas. You've seen his thoughts with his book, NRI, Now Return to India, and the 80-20 principle. So I thought it was time to hear a little bit more about his story. This is a very authentic story of someone from India who struggled a lot coming back here. Amar is open with his initial frustrations and how he has come to thrive in the midst of them. We'll talk about how to respond to the needs of the working class, how to get a commitment from someone, and Amar's surprising answer to if you should answer the phone on Sundays. I hope you enjoy the show. Well, welcome to the Working with India podcast. Today we have an exceptionally special guest that goes by many names, but I first want to introduce you to Amar Deshpande. How are you today, Amar? I'm doing good, Neil. How about yourself? Doing exceptionally well. I'm very, very excited about this conversation. Um, Amar is an, an author as well as someone who's worked extensively in India. He is Indian, but has moved back to, to India. I'll let him tell more of his story. But uh, our, our connection got started because of a book that he's written, which we'll talk about in a second called uh, NRI, Now Return to India. So uh, I'm really fascinated about this. We want to get into some topics about the book that you, you bring up there, but maybe you can just give a little bit of background about your story of, of how you wound up in the U.S and then back into India. Oh, Neil, uh, first of all, I really appreciate this opportunity. You know, when I first reached out to you, uh, I just wanted to uh, just say that, you know, uh, I would like to share my story with you so that, uh, you know, you could probably relate to it, uh, having, you know, you having moved to India yourself uh, quite recently. And I really appreciate that uh, our conversation kind of took off from there and, and I get a chance to talk to uh, some of the folks who listen to your fo- uh, podcast and, and uh, some people who follow your blog. So uh, coming to the question a little bit about me, well, I was, uh, I've been born and raised in India. I like to call myself the son of the soil. And that was quite a long time ago. And let's not get into that. What was the year when I was born? <laughs> born? Sure, sure. Uh, certainly not Gen Y or Gen X, whatever is the terminology used uh, for that particular demographic. So till the time I was, uh, uh, I completed my undergrad in engineering. Uh, I was, I lived in India and it was almost by accident that I ended up going to the United States. Uh, got my master's in uh, construction management uh, from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. I worked in the U.S. for close to seven years and uh, then around 2008 March, so about a little over seven years ago, I decided to move back to India uh, for one year. And and we'll, we can come to that, that, you know, why one year and, and things like that. But the plan was that in April 2009, I would move back to Canada. Somehow that didn't happen uh, for a variety of reasons. And seven years later, I'm still here. So that's a bit about me. Um, as far as uh, the, uh, well, even within India, though, uh, I've actually uh, lived in multiple cities. When you actually asked me that, uh, where are you from? I started thinking, uh, I lived in about 13 cities since I was 16 years old. Wow, okay, And in, in, in terms of changing number of homes, uh, it's probably about uh, 25 different addresses in this period. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and this is not by design. Uh, it, it just happened. Uh, currently, me, my wife, uh, I and, and our dog, Buddy, we live in Bangalore. Uh, mm-hmm. But prior to that, uh, for three straight years, uh, I lived in the same city in the same house. So that's a record of sorts. Mm, three years, huh? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that was in Gurgaon. 
So even within India, uh, since I was a kid, our family also kept moving. And uh, I've lived in uh, Delhi, Ahmedabad, uh, Navi Mumbai, Bangalore, Pune, back to Mumbai, uh, Ahmedabad, Gurgaon, and finally Bangalore. But never Chennai. What happened? Not yet. Uh, <laughs> the plan is to move to Chennai at some point in time. <laughs> <laughs> great, great. Um, I feel like this story of somebody, you know, coming, working in the U.S. and Indian going to the U.S. working there or a different country to U.K., wherever it be, and then moving back to India now. I feel like I'm just hearing that all the time, everywhere I go, uh, especially maybe just those are the kind of people I run around and, and are, am attracted to. But I feel like that's becoming such a common story. Are you seeing the same thing? Yes, I am. Uh, what has happened is that uh, particularly, uh, I would say, uh, 2008 uh, was when the trend actually took off, I think. And that was due to the recession and, and a variety of other reasons. Uh, the interesting thing at that point in time was that a lot of people from the technology or the IT sector used to move back. Mm-hmm. Okay, They are on a, on a project assignment uh, due to visa issues or uh, you know, for family reasons or whatsoever, they would actually plan their move ahead and actually move back uh, for, you know, career growth being one of the, the reasons. Now, what I'm seeing is that it's across a variety of sectors. Uh, you know, it could be medical profession, it could be automotive sector, uh, it's, it could be textiles, you name it. So I think the not only the number of people who are moving back and banking and financial is obviously has been one of the sectors where, where a lot of people have moved back. Uh, but it's not just been the number of people who have actually returned to India, either for a short-term assignment or, uh, you know, they, like they say, that they have moved back for good, uh, which I think is a very dangerous term, uh, by the way. But uh, uh, it, it is also the diversity of sectors. And uh, that's what I think has been quite interesting. And you're absolutely right. Uh, maybe it's it's just the light, uh, case of likes attracting each other. Uh, maybe we are suddenly able to relate or empathize or something like that with uh, with people who have who are undergoing a similar experience or who have undergone a similar experience as we you know as people who move back or people who move to India for the first time. It's a lot of unlearning and relearning that that all you know that happens. Yeah, yeah, and I think one of one of the things that I notice just among people I'm with that part of the narrative is always to do with taking care of family, taking care of parents. Parents are getting a little bit older. Uh, so you see a lot of people in their 40s coming back because their parents are, are getting a little bit old and they feel like the parents can't, uh, you know, don't want to make a transition to a new country and, and to come there. So they've taken themselves, taken on themselves to come back and take care of, of the family, which I I really admire about India. Um, that, that just seems to be a, a common assumption that, you, you know, you take care of your parents uh, in those times, even if not everyone does it. There's at least among the ethos, like that's what you do. I, I, I like that a lot. Sure. Yeah. And and I think what I really like is also the fact that if not just the immediate family, but also the extended family support structure that's around. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, in, in my case, for example, uh, between 2004 and 2007, I was not able to uh, come to India for a variety of reasons. And at that time, my own parents, uh, who unfortunately are no more now, they uh, underwent several health issues. Mm-hmm. Okay, so my my sister, who's who's based in uh, the Washington D.C. area, she she would visit once a year. But then it was the extended family who really uh, sort of you know um, helped help all of us out in the process. So that's the other thing that I really uh, admire 
uh, though I, I must say that sometimes it gets on your nerves <laughs> because uh, so for example uh, there's a family uh, event a fa- family function uh, in a couple of months from now in Pune and my wife and I drew up a list there's like almost uh, 12 or 13 different families right who are all relatives okay that's mm. like first level family <laughs> and you go to one person's place you have to go to everybody's place right oh, wow. so uh, a, a one day event has actually turned out into something like a three day trip just because we had to go and meet everybody mm, wow and and just so everyone knows like what's what's going to happen if you miss one or two of those groups like what what are the repercussions <laughs> <laughs> It's 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 a very uh, tricky question to answer. So uh, uh, a lot of uh, you know uh, obviously hurt egos, uh, and, and from both my father's side and my mother's side, I'm the youngest. So um, my my father had four siblings. My mother had uh, you know was uh, number nine in a list of ten kids. Mm. So um, and I'm like uh, grandson number. 21 on my mother's side and or I'm sorry 20 on my mother's side and and you know grandson number I think 13 on my father's side mm. so you can imagine it'll be uh, you know a lot of phone calls a lot of explanation that we will have to do we might have to do if we don't go and, and meet them mm-hmm. uh, it would be that uh, you know and, and a lot of grief that we will get that your mother would not have done this or your <laughs> father would always come and visit us and 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 so on and so forth so uh, it's better to, and, and this is not like a defensive strategy to go ahead and meet them. Uh, you know, of course, uh, I love my family a lot, mm-hmm. uh, but it's just the fact that uh, it takes too much of time and too much of effort and, and you know, uh, answering the same set of questions even now. So right, right. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's something uh, to look forward to, but at the same time, it's something that we really need to watch out when, uh, when we go to Pune. Yeah, well, let's uh, spend some time unraveling um, your different identities that you have out there. So uh, you you are working in India. You've been here for uh, you know g- going on ten years now. But you're also an author. Why don't you unpack both those roles? Let's start with the uh, with the professional side of me, and 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 I would also like to explain why I like to maintain two identities. When I moved back in 2008, uh, I started out, like I said, that the plan was to stay for a year. Uh, The focus at that time was very short term. And in hindsight, it was a very badly planned move. Okay, just uh, it it was literally I was vacationing in January. Last day before I was to uh, head back to Chicago, I ended up interviewing with this organization. Three hours later, they made me an offer on the phone. Uh, you know, uh, while flying back to Chicago, I was just thinking, should I stay? Should I go? Uh, so on and so forth. By the time the plane landed, I said, okay, let's give it a try for a year. What's the harm? You know, if it doesn't work out, there's always uh, there's always uh, life back in Toronto. <laughs> so uh, it was it was it was a horrible uh, horrible thing to do. But I would also say at the same time that it was the best decision that I ever made in my whole life. Do you like replay that scene over and over again in your head? <laughs> I did. I actually did for five years of my life, Neil. Uh, let me be very candid about it. I was an extremely miserable person till about 2000, end of 2011. Uh-huh. You know, used to live with this regret. Why did I do this? What if I had gone back? And and there was a lot of negativity that I had built around me mm. and, and, and for a variety of reasons. Okay. Uh, but what happened in, in at the same time was that uh, uh, early 2010, uh, is when I got married. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Immediately three months, uh, three weeks after we got married, uh, I went to IIM Ahmedabad to for my MBA. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, Munal, my new wife is is the breadwinner for the family, and here I am, you know, an unemployed grad st- student and and things like that. Uh, parents to take care of. Uh, obviously, you know, uh, the, 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 there were a lot of things that did not go right. Mm. Uh, but what happened at the same time was that early 2012 is when I really started writing down my whole uh, India move, my whole India journey. Mm. And uh, uh, prior to that, 2008-2009, uh, on a forum called Return to India Forum, that's www.r2iclub.com, that's where I used to maintain a blog. And, and it was, you know, in, uh, now that I go back and read it, sometimes it just looks like, a, you know, I'm, I'm just venting out my frustrations. You know, it was not really, uh, I, I, oh, this happened to me. And, and you know, uh, why is life like this? And then a lot of people would, would actually, uh, but of course, written in a humorous way. But then the point was that it was, it was providing probably entertainment to a lot of people and uh, but not really adding any value. Mm-hmm. So as I started penning down my thoughts, I could see a, a message evolving out of uh, out of my own story. Okay, and I said that I need to tell the story. You know, this is not for me. I want you know, if if in the future there is one Amar who is in a similar dilemma as me and is planning to move back to India, I want to tell that Amar don't plan your move to India in haste. You know, mm-hmm. think through the process. And I need to tell this story to this Amar who may be around, you know, wherever in the world, mm-hmm. right? But uh, what happened was that I wanted to use my my legal name, mm-hmm. but uh, somewhere at the back of my mind, I wanted to retain, go back to our family name. So Vyas is actually our original family name. Deshpande happens to be a title, which I think one of my forefathers decided to adopt. And changing uh, one's last name legally in India is a nightmare. Uh, and I'm sure in a lot of other places as well. So I said, why not use this opportunity to have a, pro, uh, a persona, an avatar called Amar Vyas, which is still me. But then it helps me uh, re- you know, create and maintain a separate identity. And that's my author self. Mm-hmm. And then there's, of course, Amar Deshpande, who is like, uh, you know, the, the professional side of me, so to speak. So even in like daily life now, do you consider yourself uh, in this novel, in this narrative that's being written as it goes about? Like, do you kind of see yourself as a character in a story still? Yes. Uh, so actually, uh, the character Amol Dikshit, mm-hmm. uh, I would say to a large extent, not 100%, to a large extent is me. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what has happened is that uh, over the past uh, few years, so... Uh, a lot of interesting changes happened in life. Uh, you know, like I said, my parents moved on. I got married. Uh, and, and I think as I evolved as a person, I thought this character also needs to evolve. Mm-hmm. Right. But uh, the way things happen in real life to me, I think uh, in the next books in the series, as, as Amol evolves, I think there are a lot of things. <laughs> that's, that's uh, you know, I tried to get a little creative. And uh, so there are still a lot of similarities in the way the two characters evolve. But the way the, the professional Amol Dikshit evolves is a lot different than the professional Amadesh Pandey's evolved. Does okay. that make sense? Yeah, it does. And, and I'm excited to see exactly what you mean by that. Like when the books come out, you get to see how that happens. So Sure. Thanks. Yeah, but, but I, I really respect you for <clears throat> doing the route that you did, you know, taking your experiences and weaving them into this narrative, novel, uh, storytelling experience that... I, I I've thought about doing that with some of the things that I that I write, but 
for me, it's just always, hey, these are the the tips. These are the the practical things. I can see the themes, but I, I can't turn them into story form, which I think is a, an even more powerful medium and a way to communicate thoughts. So I, I really am glad that you've done it and um, really respect you for that. So that's great. But yeah, let's uh, let's move on a little bit to um, to just your experiences in you know in what we call the real world of uh, working in India. Um, some some of the frequent challenges you face, some things that as a, a returning Indian uh, who never really had experience here before, um, but in, in your situation, what are some things that you noticed in terms of consistent, frequent challenges that you faced? Sure. Uh, so, yeah, you're right. I had actually, uh, I forgot to mention that, and thanks for bringing that up. Before I moved back to India, I'd never really worked here. So, straight mm-hmm. after my undergrad, uh, I went off uh, to grad school. So the first experience that I ever had uh, was a shock of sorts that uh, the moment you walk into an office, nobody even knows that uh, you are hired and you are joining them. <laughs> okay, uh, That was day one. And, and incidentally, they had actually moved offices. So I actually ended up going to the old location in Pune mm-hmm. and uh, nobody knew where the new location was, the, the new office was. It probably took me about a couple of hours to finally figure out that uh, where this organization had moved their offices uh, actually go, end up uh, you know going there and then of course nobody even knew that I was joining them so it was it was quite frustrating to to begin with mm-hmm. okay the next experience was that uh, again you know not thinking through the process I just assumed that it was going to be a five day work week mm. okay? big mistake Ouch. again yeah and uh, again, the assumption was that I would be working off out of an office. And uh, I, I come from a construction background. Okay, I absolutely have no qualms or no problem working out of a construction site. In fact, uh, uh, in the in the cold Midwest vent- winters in the U.S., I've often worked out of my car. That used to be my site office. You know, <laughs> fire up your laptop and and uh, and you're you're good to go. But uh, the initial experience was that there is no office for you. Okay, you're constantly moving from location A to location B. Even at the construction site, there is no trailer, you know, construction trailer set up for you. Okay, so you're sitting on somebody else's desk today, tomorrow cafeteria of your office. Your site meeting is actually happening when, when there's a gigantic concrete mixer uh, kind of doing the roles and it's noisy all around, it's dusty. So it was a very different experience. The other part was that, uh, again, you know, something that, that really irritated me initially. And, and I think now, like I said, that I'm much more accepting now. People just take, uh, you know, labor, construction labors for granted. Mm, yeah. I mean, the, they disrespect them. There are no uh, safety standards. They're not trained. I mean, one day you're a mason's helper. The other day you're an electrician. Three days later, this guy is probably a carpenter. Mm. Okay. And, and it really hurts the quality of work at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I used to be a lot more nitpicking. Uh, so it's like, you know, why does the ceiling tile have fingerprint impressions all over the place? Why can't the workers actually wash their hands? Well, the poor guy wasn't really told that you should wash your hands before installing the tile. Otherwise, it'll leave your finger impressions, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it, it actually became a barrier for me to function effectively because I used to get irritated by small things like this. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, the other factor was, uh, of course, uh, people not really responding to phone calls and not having a ho- voicemail. Mm. <laughs> right? Uh, it's like you call and call and call, and you really want to leave a message. And I, I was not really used to leaving uh, SMSs right. uh, till 
till about the first three or four years. I, you know, I just wasn't used to it. And of course, this is an era before smartphones. So imagine on a on a Nokia QWERTY keyboard trying to press that same uh, you know button seven times <laughs> just to get one uh, one word across. Uh, it it just didn't work for me. The other factors were uh, the odd working hours, and you know, uh, people would walk in late, uh, maybe around the, their their actual work uh, productive hours were something like between eleven and one, and then from three o'clock to nine in the night. Wow. I mean, I felt it was very odd. Uh, I mean, why don't you go home? And don't you have families to take care of, right? Uh, don't you want to spend time with your kids, for example, or with your parents? So I used to find some of these things very odd. And then, of course, uh, the propensity of people to uh, to work even on a, on a, on on public holidays, uh, days when there are festivals. So, like somebody would apply for a leave, saying that, okay, we got so and so ceremony in our house. I would like to take a leave. And next thing you know, this person spending four hours on a phone call from from home. So I found found a lot of these things very odd uh, to begin with. The uh, I think and as time has evolved, I I could see this pattern getting repeated across uh, multiple cities. So it's not necessarily like a city specific uh, or even across organizations. So it's not like the organization specific, sector specific or city specific. I think that's something that's that stood out. The most to me. You see, you've said a lot here, and I want to play off a, a few of these things. Uh, the first one I want to pick up is is something that I think people who come from other cultures in here that maybe the first thing they struggle with is the, what your experience was construction workers. Um, you can you find that section of society in in many different industries, kind of that lower level unskilled labor. Or even if it goes down to people in, you know, in poverty, you're talking about domestic help, all sorts of things. I think people just don't know how to uh, to interpret that. They don't know how to deal with that. Um, this this mass of humanity that's there, that's that's working, that's active in, in our lives. You 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 can't you you're not separate from it, but everyone's there. Um, how you mean? You say you're kind of at a at a place of of equilibrium, I guess, so to speak with that. But uh, what does that process look like? What are some things you can share with people that help them to understand, uh, you know, these, yes, these are people that should be treated well, that should be cared for, should, should be trained. Um, but also this is the way things are and uh, they're not likely to change. How do you handle that tension? Uh, it's very difficult, Neil. I can tell you it's been a constant struggle for us. And I can give a couple of specific examples. And, and you know, you brought up the topic of domestic help. While we were moving from Gurgaon to Bangalore about six months ago, there was a lot of, uh, uh, you know, kitchenware dishes and, and crockery and things like that, that we decided to give away to our domestic help. Okay, mm-hmm. She had recently moved from, uh, from a, a rural uh, place uh, near Delhi. And, they, you know, like like any young family, uh, I mean, you know, they were trying to settle down, find their place in, in a big city and things like that. So uh, she would come and ask someday that, uh, you know, can I have uh, the, the old water cooler that uh, you guys don't use? I need some storage for water, uh, uh, you know, and, and things like that. That's how it started. Mm-hmm. So we gave her probably, uh, I would say about, you know, six or seven dozen uh, pieces of, uh, you know, uh, dinnerware, for example, mm-hmm. right? The day we were going to leave, she was expecting that we would actually go ahead and give her some cash. Mm. The reason being that, uh, you know, the, the culturally, uh, the uh, 
uh, in the old feudal system, uh, the sort of, you know, and, and, and I'm going to use some, you know, really politically incorrect words here. <laughs> the the masters would give, uh, you know, some, uh, some uh, money to the servants. Somehow that mindset has stayed with this, with this large section of society. The other thing is you try to, to tell them small things in life. Okay, So my wife would ask her, for example, that, uh, you know, you got a one year old or a two year kid at home. Uh, so, you know, we would give her biscuits, for example. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, that, uh, you know, feed your kid. And if, if there is, you know, if you need milk or, you know, medicines or whatever, whatever, just ask, right? I mean, nobody's going to say no to these basic things. I mean, uh, you know, people, people are helpful. They are not really used to asking. Mm -hmm. Okay. And and it's a it's a very difficult thing to explain culturally. Uh, you know, the, the reason being that, uh, you know, they will ask at the wrong time. And and that's, that's the, uh, the flip side of the, the point that I was trying to convey, because they're not really used to people actually saying yes, when they ask, mm -hmm. usually, it will be a reprimand. You know, I pay I pay your salary. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you, you get uh, a biscuit from me, for your kid uh, once or twice every week. Why do you keep asking me for X or why do you keep asking me for Y? Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, it's difficult. At the same time, uh, we've also seen that uh, some of the uh, the people uh, in the neighborhood that we used to live with, they absolutely used to abuse and and mistreat some of the support staff. So the security guard at the at the building, uh, it would be like uh, you know. You don't call them by your name. You just stand out in the balcony of your apartment building and shout out, guard, guard. Oh, there's that vegetable guy. Can you actually get uh, like a couple of kilos of, uh, you know, okra or whatever and, and bring it to me on in my house? Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's the other side of the story that even the guard would not think twice before uh, actually just, you know, following the instructions, right? So uh, this is this is something very difficult to accept. I think the workaround for that would be, like I said, that uh, to be a little bit more open-minded, just try and understand that these changes will take time. Uh, and and I, you know, I'm not comfortable with the idea that that's the way it, it has been and that's the way it will remain. Right. I think this is something that's got to change. Uh, the question is that, you know, from our side, we can only make a certain level of effort to change. I think the change. Uh, also needs to come from the other side of the uh, of the equation. You know, the people who are used to uh, being the quote unquote servants, uh, they really need to realize that, uh, you know, times have changed and, and they have rights which are equal to ours. Hmm. And I'm sorry if I'm sounding, you know, it's, it's becoming sort of into a socio-political kind of a talk, but it's something that that still I find very difficult to, to, uh, to adjust and understand that why, uh, you know, people take people for granted. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a, a big issue, I think, for, uh, I mean, for Indians who've been living here forever. I think they struggle with it. Um, for people who've come out and come back in, they struggle. For those of us who are new to it, we struggle with it. And no one seems to have good answers for it. So, right. Um, yeah, that, that's the hard part. Um, let's, let's shift a little bit to uh, uh, back into the working world in terms of, of how you... Uh, I, I know one thing you, you kind of mentioned was, you know, the need to follow up with someone, the need to constantly be, you know, referring to them, to be emailing, to be calling, uh, to get things done. Uh, is there a solution to that? How do you get over that? Or is that just part of life in India? 
Uh, I would like to choose the right, uh, the last option right now. Uh, <laughs> Darn it! The reason being, uh, yeah, I know, I know. The reason being that uh, for the longest time I ignored that option. Uh-huh. Okay, uh, I would assume that uh, okay, and it's it's a it's uh, it's a very uh, wrong approach. I think again in hindsight that my thought process used to be that I'm a professional. Uh, the other person's a professional. We both been hired to do a job. Correct. Mm-hmm. So it's our collective responsibility to make sure that we do our respective parts so that the whole is complete. Yeah, that sounds awesome. <laughs> it's, it's fantastic. You know, yeah. that's that's the way world should be. Unfortunately, uh, like I said, one of the factors being that the work hours are different. So you know, if I have a dependency on the other person delivering their job on time, for, uh, work on time, for example, and then you know, uh, people taking. Time off at uh, probably, uh, you know, at, at eight o'clock, you receive a SMS that I would like to, uh, you know, I'm calling in sick today and, and things like that. Right. So there are a lot of uncertainties in the equation. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, uh, this is dependencies or, or uncertainties within the organization. Now you scale it up a little bit more uh, when you're dealing with the banking system, for example, and a huge number of banking holidays in India, huge number of government holidays in India. Mm-hmm. Then you got uh, election day, strikes called in and, and you know, uh, rain disrupting traffic in your city or, or, you know, fog in Delhi delaying flights and, and so on and so forth. Right. It is it is a becomes a very complex problem. So now one literally has to keep anticipating what is the next hurdle in this in the in the process and how can we overcome that yeah the solution to these issues which are really beyond our you know beyond any individual's capacity to actually uh, you know overcome the solution to that is to constantly keep following up hmm. okay uh, that this is a lesson that i've learned a very really hard way uh, the reason for that being that uh, one tends to think that okay uh, you know this other person would do things the way I would do it. They don't, right? They may have other priorities. They may have some other constraints that we are not aware of, okay? Uh, In the city of Mumbai, for example, if a document has to be submitted, uh, the office runner, for example, probably has to walk uh, 15 to 20 minutes to the nearest train station. It's probably an hour-long train ride, another 45 minutes to reach the office. So, if you're expecting a document to be delivered even within offices in Mumbai, for example, it's it's a two to three hour process. Hmm. Okay, so you constantly need to uh, you know uh, pick up the phone or send an SMS to the the office runner who has that document. For example, where are you right now? Where are you right now? It is not questioning them. It is not disbelieving that this person is really coming to deliver me something. It's just that we need to know the status. Because there could be a lot of unexpected surprises along the way, especially in monsoons in Mumbai, for example, that, you know, uh, streets are flooded uh, and and things beyond your control. So you're actually expecting a document at your desk at 12. You know that the office runner has left uh, the other office at 12 o'clock and, uh, you know, three hours later, uh, you still don't have that document with you. The Mm -hmm. only way to do that is to keep following with this person, following up with this person. Uh, and, and as a matter of fact, just today, uh, there was a particular document that we needed. I actually ended up going to that per- particular office. I spent four hours sitting in that office to get that job done, which is something I would not have done uh, even a year ago. Hmm. Right? If we are paying somebody else a lot of money to do that particular job, but it was not getting done at the end of the day. 
when i actually asked people around i mean within that uh, within that uh, consultants organization why these things are not happening i discovered some of these problems so this you know two hour train uh, you know a two hour transit time just to deliver the document this is actually an example from right today uh-huh. the moment i figured out that this is the problem uh, i actually had somebody go and pick this person up from the train station uh, in in the in a taxi have them go to that particular office where the document needed to be delivered uh of course the the uh, the official who was there uh, was supposed to be at his desk but you know uh, was not there uh and and that's government uh, you know bureaucrats for you and and I don't want to generalize things but uh you know that's that's how how, yeah. how it has been uh so we were just waiting just waiting for this person to show up and to sign one piece of paper hmm. but you know what at the end of the day uh, the job got done and that was that is what i told everybody in that particular you know in, a, in, a, in that consultants organization i want this document with me before the end of the day so that you and i can both sleep peacefully over the weekend we don't want to wake <laughs> up on monday morning you know scratching our head saying that oh my god we need to get that document signed and you know what we don't know whether this officer will continue in his current role or her current role on monday morning they could very well get transferred <laughs> on a on a sunday night so true yeah yeah this is actually a great example of your uh, your 2080 principle yeah it <laughs> again it is something which is a recent learning deal uh, mm-hmm. so um, we you know a lot of us must be familiar uh, and i'm sure your listeners must also be familiar about the pareto principle wherein uh, 20% effort can result in 80% results uh so it's it's something we learned in construction as well so cement and steel for example uh could typically account for about 70 to 80% of your construction cost mm-hmm. so as as uh, project managers or or as uh, you know construction uh, folks uh, at least here in india we uh, actually uh, were taught to pay a lot of close attention to the price and the quantity of steel and cement because that could make or break the you know your project budget for example okay mm-hmm. then you got small things like wooden form work your bamboos that you use for support your nails and windows and so on and so forth uh, one would typically ignore them because you know a nail lost here and and if i had to go and buy like 10 additional nails because i'm i'm running low on them would not really matter mm-hmm. but that was a the theory in india unfortunately it is these small things which can actually impact the big things okay so my philosophy now is that uh, 20% of things and these are very small things okay they actually end up taking 80% of your time okay it could be an an electrician okay for example uh, we recently bought a tv uh, a flat screen tv we got that installed uh, lo and behold uh, the the uh, the cable uh, coming from the tv uh, to the plug point uh, you know it was it was the, the length of the cable coming going into the plug point was not enough so we actually had to get another electrical point installed in our apartment so that we could plug in the tv and then watch the tv right mm-hmm. um so <laughs> so we probably spent two weeks of time researching the tv ordering it getting it delivered installed and so on and so forth one installing that one electrical point uh, took us 3 days <laughs> okay so so for 3 days we were not able to watch the tv so i think going forward now you know what's the solution for this i think uh, the, the solution would be a either uninstall the tv uh, you know unmount it move it to to the next wall but now you're suddenly left with a wall with a lot of drill holes in it which you'll probably have to find somebody else to patch it and paint it across again or you just wait because the electrician's not showing up and nobody would uh, would come to your house to do such a small job 
correct mm-hmm. so that's the and 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 again you know scale this up probably uh, multiple times across everything that goes on in your house and then suddenly you will realize that oh my god it is the 20% of the small things which are really dependent on others it's taking a lot of our our time mm-hmm. and that's the 8020 rule in the indian context wow No, that's a big one. I feel like this particular episode is turning into more of a therapy session for myself. Like I <laughs> I hear you talking about these things that I've been struggling with for five years and just hearing them, hearing someone else say them, just nice to be able to go through. I'm not offering solutions so far, Neil. So I don't know if it's a venting session on my part or a therapy session, but I will take that compliment and I appreciate that. Sure, sure. Uh let's hit let's hit one or two more things kind of specifically about uh work culture that that people can uh, connect with as well. Um you you talked about the need to um be flexible with working hours. You know, your first job you're working on on Saturdays as well. Um we're all familiar with the the call that comes um on a Sunday or in the middle of the night or from different places that that you have to answer. This is actually uh, something I got in trouble for a lot in in one role that I was in was that I I didn't do a very good job of answering those types of questions. How do you manage that now with the the wisdom you've gained over the years and what role do you see that playing? How do you kind of um interpret that? I think Neil uh initially it comes as a surprise that why is somebody calling me uh on a on a weekend or after hours? right but mm-hmm. i think that is also a golden opportunity to actually form that bond or form that bridge with the with the other person who's calling and i've i've really uh, begun to appreciate it and and it's not a habit that i have developed i don't you know t- typically call people after hours or 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 a weekend unless i really have to but uh, what has happened is that the first time first couple of times it happened uh, i just didn't know that why is this other person calling me on a saturday for example or or, or i'm sorry on a sunday for example right because uh, it's like i talk to this person 6 days a week you know mm. this person had probably 48 to 50 hours of opportunities worth of opportunities to talk to me why are they calling me on a sunday right so monday morning i actually go to the office and and this is like very early 2008 when the first time uh, a weekend or a sunday call happened okay this person was actually calling me to give the name and number of a salesman at a particular car dealership because he knew that i was looking to buy a car hmm. so right hmm. somebody was trying to help me without even me asking for it or you know at the least expecting that somebody would help me mm-hmm. and i ignored that phone call lo and behold it it was a terribly frustrating experience for me at that particular dealership i almost ended up not buying the car the whole uh, you know car buying process got delayed delayed by about uh, a week and a half or thereabouts so that was my first learning that you know sometimes the easiest thing to do is pick up the phone and and leave our prejudices and leave our uh, you know anguish or frustrations whatever aside and just talk maybe it it could be like it it'll, it'll take a minute but it could probably save you like days worth of effort yeah okay the downside of that is that the moment people realize that oh you know amar amar answers his phone calls after hours and also on weekends they will start calling you uh, on more than one occasion yeah. nine times out of yeah. 10 it will be for some ridiculously silly reason <laughs> and and believe me uh, whatsapp these days has actually replaced uh, some of those silly phone calls mm-hmm. in a good way or a bad way okay 
uh, in a good way. Okay. And and the, the good thing is that now I don't have WhatsApp on my phone anymore. So, I mean, some of the, the silly reasons, right? Oh, just call to tell you that, you know, are you watching the cricket match and, you know, <laughs> so on and so forth. So, uh, so there is both good and bad in it. Uh, the the important thing is that it's better to get a phone call on a on a Sunday or an evening uh, when you have a meeting tomorrow morning, for example, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody in within your team or somebody from a, from a contractor again on a construction site, for example, somebody is calling to tell you to discuss a problem or somebody is trying to call you to propose a solution. They are not calling you nine out of ten times because they they are getting bored and they have nothing else to do and that's why they are calling you, mm-hmm. right? The moment I realize that, and if put to use effectively, it can really uh, help you in overcoming a so- lot of small problems that can really become bottlenecks down the line. I would, I would very strongly, uh, you know, uh, encourage to answer an occasional phone call. And like I said, that as long as it doesn't become a habit for either party. I think uh, in in the Indian context, in the Indian culture, uh, it's it's a must do. I would say. Very good, very good. Well, let's kind of uh, summarize things. You've said so many good things and so many points, but if you, if you could just give two tips for people who are at the start of their journey uh, with India, uh, obviously one is is plan the start of your journey to India. Don't just kind of come on its own, but what are some things you would share with them? I cannot stress upon the importance of really raising one's threshold for patience. Mm-hmm. Okay, we, you spoke about uh, follow-up, of course, but uh, the other thing uh, would be that, you know, one really needs to be patient. Things do take a lot of time here, mm-hmm. uh, more than that they should typically. Uh, and that's the way the, the system is. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, you know, look at it this way, that uh, it's a country of about what now? 1.3 billion people. Right, mm-hmm. so it's it's a very gigantic beast that we are dealing with. So imagine an elephant uh, that that's moving and not necessarily like a, a rabbit or a cheetah or something like that. Right. So that's one. The second part is that uh, people here mean very well. Okay, they are willing to help. They they want. They are curious about you. They want to know more about you. They want to go. Uh, you know, empathize with you, probably try to make you uh, comfortable and more accepted into, uh, uh, you know, into either the work culture or within your neighborhood or something. But they often uh, take you for, you know, uh, in the process, especially in the professional environment, they often take on more work than they are able to handle. Hmm. Okay. Indians typically are not, uh, and, and myself included, okay, seven years down the line, I'm probably like as Indian as it gets now. Sometimes even I find it very difficult to say no. Mm, it's yeah. like, can you do this? Yeah, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> right? So it's, it's, it's extremely important to get that commitment out of them saying that, how, when will you do it? Huh. I can, it will take uh, eight to 10 days. No, I need to know, will it take eight days or will it take 10 days? <laughs> right? So, uh, so again, getting that commitment out of them is is uh, important, and also asking that can you really do it, mm. or are you really uh, you know really too busy or t- too preoccupied with other priorities to do that? I think the moment uh, you know, and and it's actually in a way two sides of the same coin. Okay, uh, both both pieces that you know threshold for patience and then follow up and 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 uh, and you know actually ask asking people are you really going to be able to do that? Okay. Yeah. The moment, uh, the sooner one starts practicing this, I think the more the successful they would be in the, in the Indian stint, be it again for a short term or over the long term. Yeah, I know. Those are great things. We will, Hopefully, we'll get on together again in the future and, and really unpack some of those too because I think they're 
the really deep concepts about when people promise a certain time and and you, you feel like it's it's not getting there. How do you deal with those types of things? So those are all great topics to talk about. Well, Omar, maybe you can tell everyone a little bit more about you. You talked about the Return to India blog, but currently, where are you writing? Where can people find your book? That kind of thing. Sure. Thanks, Neil. So um, my book can be found on, on Amazon, uh, both in print and as an ebook on Kindle. And uh, the book's title is uh, NRI, Now Return to India. So the acronym NRI itself actually is a non-resident Indian, people of Indian diaspora or Indian people of Indian origin who live abroad. I just put uh, a spin on it and saying that NRI actually means now return to India, right? Uh, I do have my own author website and uh, I would appreciate if, uh, if some of the folks who are listening to, uh, to our discussion here could actually go and, and check it out and uh, leave a feedback. The website is amarvyas.in. So that's www.amarvyas.in. And uh, I think uh, if anybody uh, would uh, like to uh, read my book or if they're just curious and they would just like to check out a few sample chapters, uh, feel you know uh, they can feel free to reach out to me. Uh, again, that's amar at amarvyas.in. That's my email address. And I would be more than happy to share my experiences with you. Yeah, we'll have all those uh, notes and links on the on the show post when it goes up. But I, I mean, definitely minimally get the book, read it. I... I have a very busy life. I have two kids running around and I finished the book in like two or three nights. So it was, uh, it's a really easy read, but it's really engrossing. It, it really, uh, packs a lot into a small number of pages. I was really impressed by that. Thanks, Neil. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well thanks so much for being on the show. As, as I said, like, I hope we get to, to do this again sometime in the future. Uh, at least when your next book comes out, we'll bring you back on for that, but uh, maybe even before then, yeah? Okay, great. Thanks. Uh, I certainly enjoyed a little discussion here. I hope uh, those who are listening to it uh, do find uh, it useful, and I would like love to hear their feedback. Sure, yeah. Please leave some feedback in the comments section in, in iTunes or uh, on the blog. So thank you very much, and I hope everyone has a nice night. This has been the Working With India podcast produced by learningindia.in. Please subscribe to the show to get new updates as soon as they're released. And as always, don't do India alone.